Good morning, good morning, good morning. For those of you who are new, we're going we're gonna to pull out our Bibles this morning. And so if you would open up your Bibles to the Gospel of John, um, that's where we're going to be uh, actually through all of Advent here at Flourishing Grace. And if you don't have a Bible, there's a blue one underneath the seat in front of you. You can reach down there in that little rack and pull out a blue Bible. And in that blue Bible, it's on page 981, page 981. Eight one, the Gospel of John. I'll give you guys just a minute uh, to get there um, as we settle into the first Sunday of Advent here at Flourishing Grace. This this idea of of coming, right? This expectant season as we build towards, as Binger talked about earlier, Christmas Eve, where we celebrate the coming of our Savior. King. And so that begins this morning as we look forward to that day. Uh, why don't we do this here at Flourishing Grace? We believe this is the Word of God. And so if you would, in reverence to that Word, if you would stand with me as I read it for us this morning. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. Thanks, Josh. Good morning again. If you missed the announcements, my name is Benger. We got that? Um, yeah, we'll talk about Advent uh, in a couple minutes. I'm glad that you guys are here. This is one of my favorite times of the year. But first, before... Uh, we get into any of that. Uh, I need to know who my people are. Are there any, this is a particular word, okay, are there any achievers in the room? Any achievers in the room? Right, so some of you are like, what is he talking about? If you're an achiever, even if you've never heard that word before, your hand went, you're like, oh, that's me. That's a, I've been looking for a word to describe me my entire life, and that is me. Let me if, you're, if you're not an achiever, or if you're married to one, 16 years of marriage is about to make really a lot better sense to you, okay? If you're not an achiever, this is what an achiever is. An achiever walks into any situation or any room and and looks around and just wants to know, how how can we move the ball forward? Like, how how can we make this better? What are the goals? What are we supposed to do? How can we move this forward? Um, Whether it's a group project in junior high, uh, whether you're managing a company, um, whether you're playing flag football on Thanksgiving, whatever it is, uh, an achiever wants to enter a situation and says, how, how can I make this better? How can we move the ball forward? How can we progress? Now, this doesn't always mean, like, you hear that, you think, oh yeah, this is the person who is always the leader. This doesn't mean this person's always the leader. Uh, it just means that whatever situation they're in, whether they're behind the scenes or they're up front leading, they just want to know, man, how can, we, how can we make things better? How can we move towards our goal? How can we do something with our time? Because we are not just going to sit there and do nothing, all right? Some of you shop like achievers, right? Some of you don't, and you're married to each other, and it's a really difficult situation sometimes. Now, let me, let me tell you something about the dark. Like, achievers are a good thing. We actually do this assessment um, as a staff sometimes, and, and one of my strengths is as an achiever, and so I'm very flattered that they put it as a strength because, honestly, there's a dark side to being an achiever sometimes. Sometimes you're not just there to serve and say, man, I just want whatever it is to be better, and I'm just here to serve that way. Sometimes... Maybe it's just me, but I think it's all of us who would call ourselves achievers at some point. Step into a room and say, how can I make things better and how can I do better than this person or this person? Now, here's what this has to do with Advent. I think in our cultural era, whether you're an achiever or not, is this idea that in order to be significant, we have to do more. 
In, in order to be somebody, we have to achieve more. And we put ourselves, and our culture puts ourselves in so many situations that, that we, we compete against one another. I've got to do better than this person. I've got to do better than here. Or, or I've got to do something here in order that I will have something to show for myself. And I think a lot of times when we walk into a room like this, we walk into a room like this on a Sunday morning and, and, and the thought is, now, how can I do something with this? What can this do for me? What can I get out of this? How, how can I make myself better? And listen, in themselves, those aren't bad things. There should be times when we are singing and, and, and we behold the glory of God and, and we just realize, man, there's, I, I need to do something different in my life. Or sometimes we'll hear something in the word or hear something in the sermon and, and we'll realize, man, God is convicting me to, to stop doing this or to start doing that. So those things in themselves are not bad, but I think in general, because of the cultural air that we breathe, we tend to walk into situations like this. What can I get out of this? What can I do? How do I need to progress? How do I need to move the ball forward? And I think today, what John has for us is an invitation just to behold, to behold Jesus. An invitation to stop and take in the glory and the majesty of this God who we will see in the number of weeks, this word who would become flesh. But I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. My hope for today is that we would just leave this room. We leave this room beholding who God is, who this Jesus is, and what he came to do. Now, achievers, don't worry. At the end, I'll have a couple of things that you can do. But, but this isn't the kind of sermon where you're going to say, oh, man, what can I get out of this? How can I move the ball forward? I just want whatever view or vision we have of Jesus as we walk out of this room today, I just want it to be bigger than it was before. So let's get started. John, is, is uh, Josh, our pastor of Preaching Vision, just read for us. It's really short, so let me do it again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, if you've been around church at all or, or, or you're familiar with the Bible, this should sound really, really familiar. And John is using very particular and very purposeful language. He's going all the way back to Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, the very first book of the Hebrew Bible, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Now, this statement is at the beginning of Genesis, not just because this is the start of the whole Bible, and where do you start it? You start at the beginning. No, this is a declaration of who God is. That before anything ever was, was God. And John is, is connecting this thread from Genesis all the way to his gospel, to his biography of Jesus, as he begins to tell us about the good news of Jesus. And he's saying, in the beginning was the word. Now we'll talk about this word, word in a few minutes, but by using this phrase word, he's speaking of Jesus. So in the beginning was Jesus, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. A couple of things here. By saying in the beginning was the word, John is saying, Jesus was there. Jesus was at the beginning. Like if you think of anything that has a beginning, Jesus was before. He is eternal. Now we sit here and we think, I can't even grasp eternity. Like I can't even imagine last week, let alone three weeks before. And so some of us, at least for me, I have a hard time picturing what it means that Jesus was 
in the beginning. What John is saying is he's lifting up Jesus, and just, just as Genesis says, in the beginning, God, in the beginning, Jesus. And here's why. John goes on and says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Now, this doesn't just mean that, like, Jesus was invited to the cocktail party, right? You ever, you ever been somewhere where, uh, you know, you were invited someplace and, and somebody else famous was there? Um, a few years ago, my brother um, owns a franchise of a dental practice, which is really exciting. We got just a bunch of really cool people in our family. I mean, serious stuff. But, but his company is a main sponsor of the Colorado Rockies. Any other Rockies fans in here? No, I didn't think so. Okay, thank you. I appreciate that. And so occasionally he gets the corporate seats to the game. And as part of getting to sit like right behind home plate, like actually not behind home plate, right next to the dugout, the assistant coach, will, bench coach will actually talk to you during the game. Before the game, you get to eat in the Colorado Rockies clubhouse restaurant. And so we go and we have some lunch. It's a day game and I'm sitting there. And there's one of the family, one of the families who, uh, one of the family members, the family that owns the Rockies. And there's one of the executives. Now, I'm sitting like five tables away because the real people get to sit over here and then the people who have the tickets sit over here, right? I'm in the room. I'm with them, but I'm not with them, right? The word John uses here with isn't just about like, man, they're in the air. They're kind of there together. No, this is like face-to-face with, co-equal with. John says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, equal in majesty and power and might. And then he completes the thought, and he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John is doing everything he can with this incredible poetic phrase to lift Jesus, our view of Jesus, as high as it can. Jesus is God. Jesus is a member of the the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. Now, in a couple of chapters, he'll get to the Holy Spirit. But what John is trying to say is, listen, Jesus isn't, he's God, but it's not just that he's like some sort of second-class God. He is the God, part of the Trinity. One God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Whatever your view is of Jesus, John wants to lift it higher. And honestly, many of us who've been in church a long time, we kind of listen to that and we think, been there, done that. Like, when can we get to the good stuff? You remember when he turns water into wine? Like, that is an awesome party right there. Like, when can we, when can we see Jesus do that? John doesn't want us to rush forward on that. Um, a couple of months ago, anybody here love figure skating? Yeah? Couple, no? Okay, maybe. I like figure skating, but only once every four years, because I don't understand it at all. Um, a couple of months ago, uh, 17-year-old American figure skater, Ilya Melanin, pulled off a feat that had never been done before in competition figure skating. It was a quadruple axle, which is, if you know anything about figure skating, like a triple axle used to be absolutely amazing. But a couple of months ago, he pulled off a quadruple axle. And this is so incredible because he takes off going, when you do an axle, you take off going forward, you do all of your spins, and you land going backwards. So it's really four and a half times around. And the thing was, in this competition, even though it was a sanctioned U.S. competition, not many people were there. It wasn't televised. There's like some sketchy footage about it. Nobody was in the crowd. And so very few people were there to see it. But then the next month, he was at a bigger competition, and it was televised. And even though it wasn't at a huge arena, the arena was packed. And so, so I'm watching this video, and, and as he's getting ready to skate, usually, you, if you ever watch the Olympics, you know how figure skating um, announcers are, right? They're, you're watching these people do these incredible feats. You're watching them do these things that, on skates, I can't even dream of doing on dry ground. Like, I, I can't even imagine to begin to just start what they're doing. 
And then the announcers are sitting here like this. Oh, caught his toe on that landing. He just doesn't really have his best stuff today. Like going around like three times in the air. Oh, that's just a shame. You know, probably not going to medal in this competition, right? I think this is how we approach the majesty of Jesus sometimes. If we've been around church a while, we can miss it. We can, we, can, we can stop seeing the wonder and the majesty and the might of a God who is from the very beginning. And so when Ilya finally gets up to do his uh, routine, the announcers uh, are not doing the, oh, I don't know what he's going to do. They're actually giddy because they've never seen this before. They saw it on video, but they weren't there. And when he does his routine, they don't know if he's going to do it because sometimes when you start your routine, you don't know if you're going to do all the tricks, all the feats, all the jumps. And he does the quadruple axle, and they go nuts. They're just beyond themselves. They're shouting into the microphone because they have never seen anything like this before. This is what John wants for us in these first few verses of his biography of Jesus. You see, what John's trying to do, it's it's a little different than than the other writers uh, in the New Testament who cover the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. If if you've read all four Gospels, you know that John approaches it a little bit differently. Mark, for instance, who's probably the earliest biography of Jesus to be written, um, he tells you from the very beginning, he says this is the beginning of the good news, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So he tells you exactly where he's going. But in his Gospel, no human being until the very end declares that Jesus is the Son of God. Mark tells you at the beginning as the narrator. God tells Jesus' followers, this is my son, listen to him. The demons know who Jesus is, he's the son of God. But it isn't until the very end, it's like Mark is trying to build this up and a Roman centurion sees Jesus dying on the cross and says, truly this man was the son of God. John wants us to know from the very beginning, boom, this is the majesty and might of who Jesus is. I think a lot of us, when we struggle with, with intimacy with God, when we don't quite know if God is there or, or we've experienced disappointments in our life, a lot of times when we approach that, we approach that as, again, achievers. What do I got to do? And I'm not feeling God is there. What do, what do I, I got to do? What do I got to accomplish? Do I need to read more? Do I need to pray for more? And again, those things in themselves aren't bad things, but maybe what we need is a bigger view of God. In the second Chronicles of Narnia book, Prince Caspian, C.S. Lewis writes about um, the Pevensey kids, who uh, Lucy, Susan, Peter, and Edmund, as they go back to Narnia. And, and Aslan is the king, the lion king of Narnia, and, and Aslan in the story represents Jesus. And they haven't seen Aslan yet, but Lucy thinks that, that she can see him from a distance, and the other people are like, no, he's not there, you don't really see him. And finally, Lucy is reunited with Aslan the king. And when they meet, she says this, Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. That's because you are older, little one, answered he. Not because you are, I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. So it should be in our walk with Jesus. We shouldn't feel like we get to know Jesus so well that he becomes smaller, like we're mastering some sort of topic. Every step that we take into our relationship with Jesus, every, every gain in intimacy, every new insight to Jesus should expand our view of Jesus. This is what John wants for us. Now, John goes on to say in verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Again, this is a little awkward. All things were made through him, and without him, not anything was made that was made. 
Again, John is using really precise language here. He's told us about how, how Jesus is, is eternal, how he is fully God. And on top of that, he created all things. And if we complete that sentence back in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Again, John is pulling this thread. He's, he's connecting it from Genesis 1.1 all the way to the beginning of his biography of Jesus. Not only is Jesus fully God, not only is he eternal, Jesus was, was not just there for creation, but everything was created through him. In fact, John goes through great pains to kind of do these linguistic gymnastics to say not anything was without him, not anything was made, that was made. Everything that you can see that was made, it had a beginning in Jesus. Everything that you find beautiful, had a beginning in Jesus. Everything that brings you joy had a beginning in Jesus. Again, John is trying to lift up our view of Jesus. And this declaration in Genesis 1-1, it's not just that, that, that there is this God, it's that this is the God who made everything. Because in the nations surrounding Israel, there were, there were many different types of gods. And, and for different situations, you might believe in a certain god. Oh, you're a farmer? You might believe in the god that, that provides rain and crops. And you might say, no, no, no. My god is the creator of heaven and earth. No, no, wait. Everything? To get kind of a taste like this, if you remember a few months ago, we walked through the book of Jonah. And, and Jonah, if you remember, was running away from God. So he, he, he booked a ticket on a boat to run away from the very direction that God told him to go. And so God sends a storm after him, not to, not to get him, but to rescue him and to pursue him. And so the storm is going on. The, the, the sailors who are sailing the ship uh, are, are worried that, that, that they're going to sink. And so they cast lots and they discover that Jonah is the cause of the storm. This is what happens in Jonah chapter 1, verse 7. They said to one another, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us, on whose account this evil has come upon us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and, and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Where did you come from? I worship the God of everything. He made everything. The sea and the dry land. He's the God of heaven. Wait, everything? This terrified them because they never heard of a God this big. I think sometimes we miss this. And John wants us to go back to the beginning and remind us who Jesus is. All things were created through him. All things were created through him. Psalm 33 puts it this way. Psalm 33, starting in verse 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. He gathers up the water of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in on him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. This, John says, was done through Jesus. You guys ever look at the moon? I love the moon. 
I love the moon. Um, usually when preachers like talk about how amazing all the things that God made, usually they go like really small and microscopic. I, I was never really good at biology. Or they may go these like distant galaxies, which we can see even more because of this new telescope. But man, I love the moon. I don't know. Do we have a picture of the moon on here? Um, I took a picture of this moon through our telescope uh, about three, three and a half years ago during uh, a lunar eclipse. And this is actually at the beginning of the eclipse. And I chose this one because I love this picture as the moon is beginning to be eclipsed. Did you know that the moon, as it revolves around the earth, it rotates at the same speed? So that we always see, give or take about eight degrees, we always see the same side of the moon as it travels around the earth. And you may know this already, um, the the moon is responsible for our seasons because the earth sits at a 23.5 degree tilt. And because it sits at that tilt, um, sometimes we get less of the sun during a time right now when winter is almost upon us, and then we'll have something else to complain about in about six to eight months when things are too hot because we'll get more of the sun. Without the moon at its precise distance and its mass, that axis would actually wobble, but it's held in check because of the moon and its mass and the rate that it revolves around the earth and how far it is away from the earth. Isn't that absolutely incredible? And God put that up there. And John says, that was done through Jesus. And not just the moon, but you. Psalm 139, starting in verse 13. You formed my inward parts. Speaking about God, the, the, speaking about God, David is saying, God, this is what you've done for me. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. God created you. John wants us to lift up this vision of Jesus. Whatever our view of Jesus is, he wants to make it bigger. Because... Because it gives us a clue about why in these first few verses. Remember when I said we'd come back to Advent and we'd come back to the word. Why at the beginning does John say, he doesn't just say, in the beginning was Jesus, in the beginning was the Christ, in the beginning was the Messiah, all things were created through him. No, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. See, John is pulling from a couple of traditions here when he uses this word, word, because he only uses it four times in his gospel, all in chapter one, and he doesn't explain it. He doesn't say, hey, let me tell you why I chose this word. The first kind of area that he borrows from is Greek, uh, kind of Greek philosophy. Um, You see, in Greek philosophy, uh, behind everything, the thought was, behind everything that ever was, is the perfect idea of that thing. So behind this candle is the perfect idea of a candle. Behind the chair that you're sitting on is a perfect idea of the chair. And that perfect idea, the perfect idea of that chair, is its logos, its word. That's the Greek word for word. And life itself, life itself has its own logos, its own perfect idea. That if we could just find out what it is, if we could just kind of figure out how to live our lives around that, that is the right way to live our lives. And that's why there's so many different kind of strains of of Greek philosophy, because there's different ideas about how to live your life around that logos. Well, John takes that idea and goes one step further. He says, this logos isn't this impersonal idea of a good life. This logos is a person. He is a God. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is fully God. Through him All things were made. He also borrows from Jewish theology, especially in the Old Testament. 
in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, he did it through his word. And God said, let there be light. I mean, all of this all comes through his word. It's not like God had some things hanging around. He's like, well, I guess I can use this, and I guess I can use that. No, everything that ever was, was had its beginning through God's word. And God's word wasn't just there in creation, but God's word is, is a sign of his revelation in the world. As, as he shepherded the nation of Israel, he sent his word to them, both to comfort and to warn. God's word is a symbol of him going into the world, being active in his creation. He doesn't stand far apart from it. He is active in it. He created through his word, and he's active in his creation, and he's in relationship with us through his word. And John pulls that, and he takes that one step further. And he says, Jesus is the word. Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God. In other words, as, as one of the, the children's Bibles that we have at our house says, everything God wanted to say to the world in a person. When John uses this word, word, when he uses this word, logos, what he's doing is he's saying, it's not as though God had this, this plan B where he created the world, and he said, oh, now sin and brokenness has entered the world. i got to figure out something to do. Jesus, would you become the word, and would you go and do something about that? No. From the very beginning, it was in God's character to be in his creation, to lean into sin, to lean into brokenness, and not to run away from it. Not to run away from it. Um, Dane Ortland puts it this way in his book, Gentle and Lowly. He says this, The cumulative testimony of the four Gospels is that when Jesus Christ sees the fallenness of the world about him, his deepest impulse, his most natural instinct is to move toward that sin and suffering and not away from it. And so John, by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, he invites us to pause before he even dives into to what we're going to look at over the next three weeks and what we're going to look at on Christmas Eve, it's an invitation to consider what if, what if this God of heaven and earth, what if this word who was from the very beginning indeed came and became flesh? What if this word truly leans in and doesn't stand aloof? This is John's invitation to us in this season we call Advent. Advent is, is, has been celebrated and observed by, by Christians for over a thousand years. It's this period of time before Christmas where, where we pause and we prepare ourselves to celebrate the Word made flesh, the King who came as a baby and who will one day come again. And so over this period of Advent, we are going to pause and we are going to behold Jesus and we are going to, I hope, accept John's invitation as he enlargens our view of Jesus to consider what it means that maybe Jesus came. Now here's the hard thing for us, I think, sometimes, at least for me. When we consider how big God is, when we consider how, how amazing Jesus is, how he was from the beginning, he was in the beginning, he was with God, he is fully God, all things were created through him, makes me feel small. It makes us feel small. And in our culture of achievers, small is not good. 
If you are small, you are insignificant. If you are small, you're not doing much with your life. And here, I think, is the message of John today, that you may be small because of who you are in comparison to God. You may be small, but you are not small to God. Because in the beginning was the Word. Now, some of you are here and you're thinking, okay, okay, I'm on board with this whole God thing, but I'm not sure that he really came. You see, in Utah, um, it, it, one of the things I've noticed is that people generally don't have a problem with God. They might have a problem with God, if you catch my drift, but, but generally, like, yeah, I, th- I think something exists. But I'm not sure I can go as far as Jesus. I'm not sure I can trust this book that, that proclaims who Jesus is. Um, on more than one occasion, I remember one time it happened at Costco when I was working with students when I was a youth pastor. Um, I was buying something for an event which meant like 300 rolls of toilet paper and 73 pineapples. I don't remember what it was, but I was explaining what it was and explaining our church, and I think it was actually around Christmas time, and so I invited the checker to, to Christmas at our church. And he said, no, 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 I, I can't, because if I walk through the doors, the lightning will strike, the place will burn down. He, he knew there was a God, but he wasn't sure that God would come for him. And I think there's many people here, you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus. And it's not so much God that you have a problem with. You're just not sure God would come for you. In our family, we have some dinnertime conversations that uh, uh, are a little bit different. A little bit different. Because three of our kids came to us through adoption. And not just like as infants, but, but as young kids, ages five through nine. And because of that... I'm not the first dad some of these kids have had. And Jennifer's not the first mom some of these kids have had. And the way that we've chosen to deal with it, the way that we've helped them process this, is we don't say, no, 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 that's not your dad anymore, that's not your mom anymore. We're like, no, yeah, that's your first dad. That's your first mom. Because they do have good memories. And there are some things that they also need to process that we're not healthy, that they need to figure out what to do in their lives. And we say, yeah, that was really good, or, man, that was really tough with your first dad or your first mom. I think there's some people in this room, you're not sure what to do with God because of your first God. Your first God was not merciful. Your first God was not full of grace and truth. Your first God did not lean into sin and brokenness and wrap his arms around you when you fell, but he stood far off and he said, you clean yourself up and then you can think about maybe coming to me. Friends, that may have been your first God, but that is not the word made flesh. That is not the Jesus of the Gospels. That is not the word who didn't stand far off. No, he came, is in his very character as the word. It wasn't a plan B. It was the plan from the beginning. He knew when he created humanity. He knew when he created the world. He knew when he created you what it would take to lean in and to rescue you because he is the word. Everything the world wanted, everything God wanted to say to the world in a person. Maybe you're not sure what to do with God because this is all new to you. Maybe you're not sure what to do with God because you feel like at some point the rug has been pulled out from under you. Friends, John's invitation to us and my invitation to you 
is this Advent season to pause and to consider maybe this incredible God really did come. And if he did, what would that look like? That's what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. Remember, I promised you I would give you something to do. And not to do more or to be more cleaned up for God, but just to behold who Jesus is. Today's the first Sunday of Advent. If if you're not in a reading plan, uh, you don't have one right now, or you haven't really been in the Bible every day, today's a great place to start. We've got uh, Advent devotionals, She Reads Truth, He Reads Truth, uh, and then a family devotional uh, in the lobby. You can purchase those at the welcome desk. If we end up selling out of those or that's not really your thing, you can pick up your phone and you can download the YouVersion app, Y-O-U version. They've got Advent readings and devotionals and reading plans, uh, and you can do that all of Advent now leading up to Christmas. Or you could start in the Gospel of John, one of the biographies of Jesus that we have in the New Testament. You can start now and leaning all the way up to Christmas. You even get some days off, some grace for yourself when you miss. But my invitation to you, whether you're not sure what to do with Jesus or even following him for 30 years, that you would kneel before him and ask him, ask him to reveal himself to you, to enlarge your view of him. Because the bigger that Jesus is, the more loving and merciful it is that he came for you. That's the message of Advent, friends. Let me pray for us. God, there are times when I speak of your grandeur and your glory and I realize how short my words fall. And so I pray that today, that as we consider this word who was in the beginning, this Jesus full of grandeur and glory and might, worthy of all of our praise, that we would consider what if he came? What if he did lay in a manger? Father, would you, would you broaden our view of him? Would we stand in wonder at who he is? And would we stand in awe and gratefulness that he came? God, only your spirit can do this work in us, and so we pray for that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Let all the people say, amen.